Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of all the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. What a blessing to sing with you this morning. I enjoyed the prayer time and singing yesterday and then singing today. Uh, you all sing. It's like singing in the shower in here. It just kind of resonates. And uh, I enjoy old hymns by Watts and Wesley. And I am grateful for new hymns um, by the Gettys or, or City of Light or Sovereign Grace. But no, no song has affected me as deeply in my own personal worship. Uh, any more than thank you, Jesus, for the blood. What a blessing. Uh, we don't gather this morning as the good people. You know, we're, we're not here to congratulate ourselves that we're the righteous ones and, and then all the, the sinners are out there. Uh, we're as sinful as anybody ever was. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy has this list of sinners, you know, kind of one of his depravity lists, and he lists all these people that are do, doing uh, sinful things. It includes, you know, kidnappers, and it includes the immoral, it includes homosexuality, and, and all these sins. And then a few verse later, uh, a few verses later, he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then how does it finish? Of whom I am the chief, the worst. I, I'm, I'm never sure whether to say he was the worst sinner or the best sinner. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm the biggest sinner I know. Uh, so I'm more grieved about my sin than the sins of others. And thank you, Jesus, for the blood that washes us clean. Uh, for those who weren't here uh, during the first hour, um, I'm Chris Anderson, and uh, I was a punk 13-year-old when I met Dave and Lori Wood. And um, my brothers and I were in a bad place spiritually. We have great parents. Dad's a church planner. Mom's uh, best woman I know. Uh, but we were struggling, 
and uh, they moved us an hour away from our home. They just sold our home, moved, and it wasn't a job move. It wasn't a school move. It was just we need to get our kids uh, away from some bad influences and get them to a church with a growing youth program, a, a youth pastor that will invest. And um, the Lord used the woods. He used a number of things, but the Lord used the woods to, to change the whole direction of my life. Um, I was a wreck. And uh, in my house, we have this piece of furniture. Um, it is this roll-top desk. You know the kind that you kind of pull in it, and it uh, has these slats, and it just goes up. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not worth a lot of money, but it's invaluable to us. Uh, my wife had that when she was a kid, and it was all crusted in paint. It had no legs. It was just the roll-top part. And they played with it in their backyard, and uh, they would use it as an oven and pretend, you know, put their fake mud pies in there and cook them. And, and uh, they did it for years, and it was out in the weather and the snow and the rain, and Finally, one day, my father-in-law looked at it. He said, you know, that, that is a, a, a sharp piece of furniture. I wonder what it's like under all that paint. And he took the time to scrape it all off and uh, sand it down and to refinish it. He put legs on it, and it's in our house, and it's a, re- a reminder that, you know, the Lord finds us, and, and we're just kind of useless, you know, just just probably should be thrown out. But God is the master refinisher. You know, failure doesn't have to be final. And, um, and the Lord did it by his mercy and, and he chipped off my paint. He's still chipping off my paint. Who am I kidding? Uh, but God is so merciful to use people in spite of ourselves. And, um, and the Lord does that, but he, he used the woods uh, in my life and my brother's lives as part of that process. Uh, Dave reminds me of uh, my favorite New Testament Bible character is Barnabas. You know, Barnabas, he's not the mighty preacher Paul. He's not the bold Peter. He's not John. He's just, he's a good guy. He's, he's a mentor. He's an encourager. And Barnabas is the guy that got ministry done through other people. Um, so Barnabas mentored the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul probably, you know, outdistanced Barnabas in direct works. But uh, he also was the church planter of the church at Antioch, which became the leading church, the, the first missions church of the New Testament. Um, he is the one that there was a, this punk named John Mark who kind of cratered and blew it. And Paul said, ah, oh, we're done with that guy. And Barnabas said, no, 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 there's there's something to that. Under all the paint, if we can scrape it down, maybe God could do something. And John Mark was reclaimed by Barnabas. And, um, and your pastor is one of those Barnabas types. He coaches people. He mentors people. He doesn't give up on people, like me. And, uh, and he's you know, coaching somebody that's having a tremendous uh, ministry, Shadrach in Uganda. And he's coaching people here. And um, the glory for anything God does goes to God. But on a human level... Thank you. Thank you for uh, not giving up on me the first time, second time, third time, fourth time. Uh, God's good. So it is a pleasure to be with you today and, and to have the opportunity to worship with you, to preach to you if I can pull it together. 
but also just the uh, fellowship with Dave and Lori has been been a great blessing. Um, this this will uh, dry my tears. In the uh, in the lobby, there is a table of books, and uh, when I'm not preaching, I'm usually writing. If I can if I can make it rhyme, it'll be a hymn. If I can't make it rhyme, it'll be a devotional. And uh, there are a number of things back there. The God Who Satisfies is a book on John 4. Theology of the Six we're going to talk about in the afternoon a little bit. That's the one on the power of hymns. And uh, there's gospel meditations that are 31 days, and, and you can read through those. If those would be a help, you can pick those up. Thank you to Alyssa and Chloe and Claire. And they are running the book table. I forgot to tell them, anything that they don't sell, they and their parents are going to have to buy. Because I cannot lug those things back through the airport again. So uh, you're more generous than you even knew. So thank you for your help. I hope some of that will be a blessing to you. Uh, What we're doing this morning is talking about Psalm 96, which we just read. Thank you for that. And uh, my work is with biblical ministries worldwide. I, uh, after pastoring 25 years, I now get to uh, kind of recruit and encourage and and uh, be a catalyst for missions, urging churches to be identifying and training and deploying people to the mission field. You know, the, the job of sending missionaries is not a job for colleges or seminaries. It's a job for churches. And, um, and we talked in the first hour about how, how God is using the church to send people out. And I want to talk about that from Psalm 96. We're going to read it again in a second. But... Um, I want to talk just about this great big world that we live in. I talked a while ago about how we are each one of eight billion people in the world. Um, I have wanderlust. That is, I, I, just, I love to travel. I have a passport and I want a lot of stamps. I want to see everything. And I enjoy looking at the diversity of the world that God made. Uh, so I have a picture there of the Olympics. You know, it used to be once every four years. Now it's once every two years between the summer and the winter, but I just really enjoy watching the Olympics. And part of that is, even in that picture, you have people from all over the world. They look different. They speak different languages. They have different cultures, but they all come together for one purpose. I love that. Um, I always cheer for America, you know, whether it's this or I I could say the World Cup. I just enjoyed the World Cup uh, for the last couple months. I always cheer for America, but as I'm growing older, um, even that is tempering a little bit. I'm still, you know, USA, USA. But I, I used to be watching a 13-year-old gymnast from Russia, and I'm kind of hoping she falls off the balance beam. And at one point, I checked myself, like, Chris, what kind of monster are you, <laughs> you know? Uh, this 13-year-old doesn't need to, to break her leg in order for you to be happy. You know, you could just cheer for people uh, and enjoy that. I enjoy the Olympics. Um, this is a, a painting by um, Norman Rockwell. I love Norman Rockwell. And this one is, you know, kind of a picture of people from all over the world, uh, different cultures and languages. There's a beauty to that, I think. Yeah, we're getting to a place where now there's almost one culture that is all over the world and it's getting more and more similar because of our global economy. But but you still have all these different cultures. Um, I apologize for this. This is a picture from the Disney ride, It's a Small World, and you're going to be humming that all day long. Um, how many of you, you, uh, you enjoy riding through It's a Small World? I see both of those hands. And how many of you say, oh, the whole thing just irritates me? Ugh, no thanks. Anybody? 
All right, well, I enjoy it. And part of what I enjoy, you know, you're hearing the song over and over and over, but you're seeing dolls from different countries. I would go with my girls like, what country do you think that's from? What country do you think that's from? And just another reminder that, that God is working all over the world. God's vision for his church is not just America, uh, not, not just the Midwest. You know, sometimes we, we get so... Um, we get so focused on our country or, you know, our country is God's gift to the world. And, you know, when, when you think of gospel expansion in Acts 1-8, that there are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Where is America in that verse? Where are the ends of the earth? I mean, the gospel that the New Testament church expanded for, you know, 1,500 years before America was, uh, was even kind of on the map. And now we have the privilege and, and the Lord's working here, but he's just working all over the world. This last one is a video. There's a guy named Matt. He was paid by a gum company to travel all over the world. And he dances with these people. He's a, he's a bad dancer. He just has one move. He just kind of jogs in place. Um, but it's moving to me. It's fun, but it's moving to me because he's in India and, and he's with pygmies and uh, he has a picture of himself uh, with a guard from North Korea. The guard is not amused. Uh, but, but he's in all these places, and it just shows the diversity of the world. And there's something beautiful about that. I remember the first time I went to Africa. Um, it was a mission trip to Uganda. And uh, we're driving on bad roads, you know, way out to the bush. And others were sleeping, but I just... Uh, I just kept looking out the window and we'd, we'd pass, pass a village, we'd pass some huts, pass a lady carrying stuff on her head, you know, amazingly, um, pass some boys out in their yard playing. Here's a couple, you know, unclothed kids, just, you know, two, three years old having fun. And I remember being struck by, by a reality. That little boy is as important to God as I am. I'm not more important because I'm an American. I'm not more important because I'm married and have kids. I'm not, that, that lady, who I can't speak to, but that lady was made in the image of God. That man has an eternal soul. That man is going to live somewhere forever. And, and to just have this awareness, I'm one of eight billion. The world doesn't revolve around me. And there's all these other people, and they're all going to live somewhere eternally. And if they don't hear the gospel, they have no hope. You know, how shall they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And it's, it's intolerable that people live and die without ever hearing the gospel. And the Lord used that to, as another thing to start stirring me toward the importance of missions and the Great Commission, that God wants to work all over the world, not just among us. Now, in a moment, I'm going to read Psalm 96, and uh, I'm going to give you some things to look for. And if you pay attention to these things, then the sermon will be almost over when I read the scripture, because you will have gotten all the lessons on your own. So we're going to read it again. Uh, let me give you just an overview of it. This is an example of a jubilant praise psalm. So uh, we've been talking, I, I think uh, Pastor Jordan preached on Psalm 88 a while ago. I talked yesterday on Psalm 55. There's songs of lament, a lot of sad songs. This is a happy one. So there's jubilant praise, but it's not, it's not just, 
you know, kind of mindless singing or mindless recitation. There's so much doctrine here. The psalm is going to foreshadow the inclusion of Gentiles into God's work, not just Jews. Foreshadowing. So the Old Testament wasn't primarily a missions book. It wasn't go out into all the world. It was basically if the world wanted to come to know Jehovah, they had to come to Jerusalem. So we would have like the... Um, princess of Sheba that came to see Solomon, but she had to come to him. Or um, you would have Ruth the Moabitess. She had to convert to Judaism in order to have a relationship with God. Uh, there are a few people. There's Jonah was one guy who was sent from Israel to go to Nineveh to, uh, to that great city, cried against it. There's a couple hints of what God is going to do, but, um, but most of that is prophecies like even when God is having a covenant with Abraham, he says, in your seed, in your descendants, all the world will be blessed. But this is giving us kind of a, a black and white picture that's going to be living color in the New Testament. God wants to save all people, not just the Jews. And it foreshadows the new creation uh, where nature is celebrating rather than groaning. Romans 8 says that all creation is groaning. You know, we live in a world where, of, of suffering and, you know, the world God made was very good. There was no cancer. There was no death. Um, there was no disease. There was no divorce. There was no fighting. There was, it was perfect. And we broke the world and all creation groans, anticipating the time of our redemption when Jesus makes all things new. Jesus didn't just come to save sinners, which is primary and wonderful. He came to save all of the fallen creation and to make things new. And when we get to the end of the Bible, we're, we're kind of reclaiming the Garden of Eden. So Genesis 1 and 2 is reclaimed in Revelation 21 and 22. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. So sinners are fallen and need to be born again. And the whole world is fallen and needs to be born again, made again. And this, this kind of gives us a whimsical picture of what that will look like. So I'm going to read it again. Uh, look for these things and especially notice how we have the merger of worship and witness. So we're commanded to praise, but then there's this invitation given again and again, not only to the Jews, not only to Christians, we might say, but to the world, to the nations. Look for that theme uh, as we read through this Psalm 96. This is the word of God, authoritative, inerrant, inspired authoritative, powerful, sufficient for us. Here's what God says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. We got that in verse 1. All the earth and now among the nations. Uh, his marvelous works among all all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Let's talk about those, quote, gods. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But what a contrast. We don't worship a God that we carved out of wood or stone. Uh, we worship a God that is the true God. The Lord Jehovah made the heavens. So we don't have a God that we made. We have a God who made us and actually made everything else. He made the heavens. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. You look at the political scene in our country today. You look at the political chaos in the world today. Don't we long for someone who will rule the peoples with equity, with justice, with righteousness? Now we have this view of the future when he makes all things new. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I love that promise that he'll come. There's kind of a reminder of when Jesus at the end of Revelation says, Behold, I'm coming. I come quickly. And we say, Come, Lord Jesus, fix this mess of a world that we live in. Well, two major points today, and we'll cover them very quickly. The first is this. God deserves praise from his people. And we call that worship. Uh, God deserves praise from his people. So in the Old Testament and the New, God's people, uh, true believing Israel in the Old Testament, and, and the church, Christians, the redeemed in the New Testament, we praise him. He deserves it. When I say he deserves it, um, verse 7, three times in a row in verse 7 and 8, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, you understand that's an impossible command. You will never give God as much glory as he deserves. He deserves infinite glory. And, and you know, what we give him when we sing, it, it's like we're spitting in the ocean. You know, he deserves so much more. We'll never give him what he deserves, but we can contribute. And, and we just keep giving him glory. And giving him glory doesn't mean that we are noble. Like how, you know, how wise, how benevolent, how generous of us to give him praise. No, no, no. We give him praise because he's awesome. We're just giving him what he is due. He's worthy, and so we praise him. God deserves praise from his people. I love Christian music, and um, I love how this begins in verses 1 and 2 with three commands, sing, sing, sing. Uh, it reminds me of Karen Carpenter, sing a song, all right? But this, this is a Christian song. It's a believing song. The command to sing is the most frequent command in all of the Bible. And we're going to talk about that uh, for a few minutes in the afternoon service. But singing is important. You know, you don't want to be somebody that everybody else around you is singing and you're like, oh, let's just get this over with and get to the good stuff. Now, singing is good stuff. We're commanded to sing to the Lord because he enjoys it. You know, it's, uh, it's so condescending of him. It's, it's so compassionate of him even to enjoy our music. You know, what is God hearing day and night since creation? Who is singing to God right now? Isaiah 6, you have these angels, and they keep singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is listening to music in heaven that is, is even better than what we heard today. But he wants our singing. He accepts it. He receives it. 
And it reminds me of a parent or a doting grandparent. You know what it's like when your child or your grandchild scribbles out something in crayon? It's not the Mona Lisa. It's not a work of art. It's not invaluable. Oh, but it's valuable to you. Because that's your boy. That's your girl. You, you put it on the refrigerator and you treasure it. Not because it's awesome, but because, because you love the, the one who made it. The Lord enjoys our singing and it's not like the singing of the angels and sometimes it's off pitch but but he loves it we give him glory and the bible says that our sing our singing um, when it's from a right heart brings god pleasure Uh, there's a laser-like focus on god we can't go into all the details but it says sing 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 declare his glory and then it says four in verse four it begins with the word four and, and a synonym would be because. Why should we sing to the Lord? Why should we declare his glory? Because the Lord is great and therefore greatly to be praised. You often see that in the Psalms. As you've been reading Psalms lately, you have calls to worship, but then you have reasons. You have doctrinal reasons. Sing to the Lord because he is like this. And there, there's this focus on God and a focus on his attributes. Yesterday, I so enjoyed praying together, and part of the time, uh, especially at the beginning, we said, let's pray and not ask for anything. Don't ask for provision, don't ask for healing. All of that's good, and you should do it sometime, but pray and just talk to God about what he's like. So uh, we have in the Psalms these records of God, you know, we, we have his titles, we have his attributes, we have his actions. The Lord is good and merciful and gracious and forgiving. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He treats us like his children. He remembers we're dust. And the Psalms just almost trip over themselves, rehearsing God's attributes. And when we praise and when we sing, we can just say, God, I praise you. You're holy. You're wise. You're loving. We we prayed this morning, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. That's a prayer in song. We give God glory. And he never tires of it, and we should never tire of it. We worship God in a way that's consistent with his character. So we worship him in the beauty of holiness. He's holy, so, so our singing should be holy. Our hands should be clean. We come cleansed through confession, through the blood of Christ. We give him the glory he deserves. And again, one day worship will not only be from the redeemed, but will be universal I say it's kind of whimsical, you know, do, do the trees really sing uh, elsewhere? Are, are the trees going to clap their hands? Well, the Bible talks about that a lot. The heavens, the stars declare the glory of God. Jesus on, on the Mount, uh, when he was coming down the Mount of Olives during the uh, triumphal entry, do you remember the Jewish leader said, tell these people to be quiet. Do you remember what Jesus said? If they didn't sing my praises, what would happen? The rocks would cry out. You know, there's coming a time where all of creation will be relieved, no longer groaning. And uh, we have a picture of that here. God deserves praise from his people. Oh, but God deserves praise from more than his people. Look at verse 4. When it's giving us a reason for for worship and witness, it says, Why why should we declare his glory among the nations? Because... Verse 4, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. What does that mean? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. All right, does it mean that we should sing louder? 
God is so great, his praise should be great, so we should sing louder. Yeah, I, you know, I could probably make a case for that. I, I like loud singing. You know, um, John Wesley would say, you need to sing like with all of your might. You know, don't, don't whisper to yourself. Don't mumble. Sing out. But I don't think that's what it means. Does it mean we should have more worship songs? Eh, maybe. But in context, it really means this. The Lord is great and, and he is greatly to be praised. That is, he deserves praise from more worshipers. Why do we declare his glory among the nations? Because the nations are worshiping Allah. Or, or um, they're, they're bowing to idols. You know, they're, they're praying to a Buddha. They're praying to animals or spirits. God is so great that he doesn't just deserve to be praised by his people, but he deserves to be praised by all people. So we want people to turn from Molech and Baal and start praising Jehovah. He's so great, he deserves more worshipers. So again, we, we picture around the throne, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We sang about that in All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Uh, I noticed that when we were singing, it says, um, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, the world, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. So we want people from South Africa and Indonesia and Nepal and Brazil, we want people with us around the throne giving glory to the Lamb. And he's so awesome, he deserves more worshipers, so we keep gathering more worshipers for him. Worship and witness go, go inseparably together. Even in John 4, Jesus is evangelizing the Samaritan woman and he's dealing with her sin. He's offering her uh, cleansing and satisfaction in her heart. And in the middle of evangelizing her, and right before evangelizing her hometown, he says, God is seeking worshipers. Wait, what? I, in the middle of evangelism, why are you talking about worship? Because God is seeking worshipers, and he doesn't find them. He makes them. God is seeking worshipers, and he makes them out of sinful Samaritan women. And he makes them out of a village of sinful Samaritans. And verse 42 of John 4, they, they say, we have come to realize that this is the Savior of the world. Jesus is not the Savior of Americans or Republicans or white people or middle class people or white collar, blue collar. He's the Savior of the world. And the people that don't know him, we want them to give him praise. The time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we don't want them to bow to him when they're forced to. We want them to bow to him as their savior, not their judge. He's so great, he deserves to be worshiped by more people. John Piper has famously put it this way. He, he turns a phrase so well. He has a book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. That's what we're saying. We do missions. We evangelize locally in your neighborhood, you know, through the exchange and through soccer camp and other things so that those people who aren't worshiping will know Jesus and start to worship him. So we share the gospel so that God will be glorified. Yes, we share the gospel out of compassion on the lost. We talked from Matthew 9, Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. 
Oh, but we have a passion as well for the glory of God. So God deserves praise from all people. And that is where witness and worship go together. We don't just sing to the Lord. We don't just speak to the Lord. We speak about the Lord. We're his ambassadors. So again and again, and I, I give you, you know, verses 1, 3, 7, 10, 13. You have this repeated emphasis on all the world is invited to come. We invite the lost to have a relationship with the Lord. And there's a sense in which we have received the gospel and now we are obligated. Freely we've received, now we freely give. Second uh, Corinthians 5 says we've been reconciled to God and now we have been given the message of reconciliation. We urge others to be reconciled to God. We, we get and then we give. When I say that everyone will worship Jesus, this is not ecumenism. It's not saying all these religions are, are climbing up the same mountain. We have God, we call him by different names, and we'll all get there in the end. That's not what it's saying. The gods of the nations are worthless idols. They're dead. They won't save anybody. They need to hear about Jesus. You know, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. The name of Jesus is the only one that saves. So we take the gospel to the nations. The Old Testament, the message was come and see. Oh, but the New, New Testament changed it. It's go and tell. I don't have uh, time to develop this adequately. This is like a sermon inside a sermon. But uh, most of you, I'm assuming, profess to be born again. You, you've come to know Jesus. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Anybody? One? Cool, huh? Now, a couple, not many. How can you know the Lord if you haven't been to Jerusalem? Well, it used to be that you had to go to Jerusalem and, and you could seek the Lord there, but oh, everything changed. And just quickly, I call it housewarmings. When Moses built their tabernacle and he was finished, the Bible talks about when God moved in, Jehovah moved in, and there was this, this rushing wind, there was this Shekinah glory. And do you remember hovering over the Old Testament tabernacle, a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. And when the pillar moved, they moved. But God was hovering over the tabernacle because he lived there. He's, he's everywhere, but he kind of lived there in a unique way. Eventually, the Israelites, you know, I, I say like a couple, a newly married couple lives in an apartment. Eventually, they try to get a house. They lived in a tent, and eventually they built a house, Solomon's temple. Second Chronicles 5 and 7 talk about when, when God moved into the temple, the priests had to get out of there because the glory of God came and filled the temple. And then over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, there's this fire hovering because God lived there and he gave a visible reference. Have you ever wondered on the day of Pentecost, you know, you have these signs, a rushing wind, speaking in unlearned languages, but there are these flames of fire over people's heads. You know, the, the tongue of fire over their head. What was that about? That sounds dangerous to me. You know, OSHA would never have approved. Uh, fire marshal would have a fit. Why were there tongues of fire over people's heads? Because God no longer was living in a tent or a building, the temple. We, in the New Testament, we are the temple of God. We're a living temple. We're living stones. And Scripture talks about that often, that we're the temple of God. He lives in us. And you didn't have a flame of fire over the upper room. 
you had a flame of fire over that Christian man, that Christian child, that Christian lady, that senior citizen. Every individual believer is now the temple of God. And, and he gave this visible manifestation that he's living in us. And he wasn't just living in us. That's a great privilege. But now he's saying, now go and scatter and take the gospel to the world. So instead of people going to Jerusalem to the temple, God got the temple ready for export. You know, he, he franchised the temple. He says, my presence is not going to be in a city. It's going to go all over the world. Jesus would say in John 4, the hour is coming when people want worship here in, in Sychar on this false temple of the Samaritans, nor in Jerusalem, which is shocking, but they're going to worship in spirit and in truth. The church now is going and taking the message of God, the presence of God all over the world. And Christianity was ready for export. So why do we get excited about sending missionaries? Because we're fulfilling the commands of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the commands of Jesus to go make disciples of all nations. It's, it's worth it. It's difficult. But this is the plan of God. And if we want to be in line with God's heart, then we need to be people that are praying for and invested in missions. We need to get you on a mission field for a short-term trip. We need to pray more earnestly for the missionaries you already support. We need to pray the Lord of the Harvest to give more missionaries to declare his glory among the nations. Why? Because the Lord is so great, he deserves to be greatly praised by a tapestry of believers. They're not all going to look like us. They're not all going to use music like us. But he's going to be glorified by people from all all over this world, all giving glory to the Lamb. And we get to be part of that. Psalm 96 is so beautiful in its description of this. When, when we invest in missions, we're just, we're following after God, the great missionary. God's the great missionary. God is the one that seeks and saves the lost. We weren't seeking for him. We were running from him, and he sought us out. And now we get to be part of that. We are gathering trophies of his grace from everywhere so that he will be honored. He's gathering sinners from all over. We get to play part in it. David Platt has this kind of stunningly short and powerful sentence. He says this, God has, God has planned to get the gospel to the unreached, to get the gospel to the lost through his church, through Christians. There is no plan B. What he means is, I had a, a professor named Ed Panosian, he would say, the Lord might have commanded angels. I mean, angels are messengers. He could have sent the gospel all over through angels and it would have been more efficient. They would have done it. But he didn't command angels. He commissioned Christians. And if we don't do it, the message doesn't go out. There's no plan B. It's us. So the Bible says there is an urgency to investing in the Great Commission. God, God is using normal people like us. And I would say God wants to use normal Christians like you, your family, your church to export the gospel to the world's darkest places, all for his glory. So normal Christianity, there's an urgency. There's a passion that says the gospel needs to go further. And our prayer is not just Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers from somewhere. 
Lord of the Harvest, send forth laborers from this group of Christians, from this local church. You know, teenagers, you're praying about, oh, you know, what does God want to do in my life? And you know, am I going to go to college? What job am I going to get? Am I going to get married? And you, it, at least make part of your plan the idea that maybe God will use you to, to be part of his work and, and it's not here in Iowa. Maybe God wants you to faithfully serve him in Indonesia or in Argentina. And, and you're heralding, you're preaching, you're telling the gospel. And, and he uses you in spite of you and the glory goes to him. I pray sometimes before I get up to preach, I pray, Lord, um, speak through me today. Help me. Um, Without you, this is pointless. And I actually, kind of joking, but I say, you know, you once spoke through Balaam's donkey. If you could do that, you, you could talk through me. You, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a great orator. You just, you know Jesus and you tell people. And he wants to do that locally. He wants to do that all over the world. What part can we play? Pray about it. Think about it. Lord, thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for this psalm. And I pray, Lord, that for your glory, you will stir people. And again, I, I know my limitations. I am not the one who can send forth laborers. That's the job of the Lord who owns the harvest. So, Lord, um, as, as I get to preach and, and suggest and provoke, agitate, would you do something far greater would you give people a burden for missions? And whether it's short-term or part-time or whether it's their life calling, I pray, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers from this local church for your glory. And oh Lord, if there's anybody today that has come in that doesn't yet know Jesus as Savior, uh, the message hasn't primarily been about how they can know Jesus personally, but they can. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He died for their sins he rose again. He's their only hope. I pray if anyone doesn't yet know Jesus, draw sinners to Christ for salvation and draw your church to Christ's likeness and to have a heart like his for the lost. Do your work and we'll reserve all the glory, not for us, but for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.